Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Easter. I'm imagining you all in your homes having a jolly good breakfast. Maybe a little bit of extra jam on the toast this morning, or uh, an extra tablespoon of syrup on the pancakes, maybe even some whipped cream. Well, I think this will be an Easter to remember. Uh, in a few years time, we'll look back and say to one another, remember that Easter of 2020, that Easter in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic? Remember that video that Rockway did for, for worship and that amazing homily that Scott did that day? Well, maybe not the homily. I think probably what we'll remember most is how strange it felt to be home, to not be together on Easter Sunday, to not be at church, to not be able to share a meal with our extended family. Easter's supposed to be a joyful time. And here we are marking this occasion in the midst of isolation, in the midst of a time of uh, anxiety and sadness. It's actually a reminder to us that the great mystical celebrations in the church don't always conform to our emotional circumstances, our, our current state of mind. With Easter, we're marking something that has a deeper and more subtle meaning uh, than circumstance or emotion. During the season of Lent, a few of us have been reading and discussing a book called Wisdom Jesus. And um, this has been in my mind these days, and I want to share a few reflections this Easter from this wisdom perspective. Uh, the wisdom tradition maintains that Jesus' purpose um, in being born, in living and teaching, even in suffering and dying, and in rising again, was to show us the way to a new way of being here and now in this world, a new way of living. Jesus' life and death and resurrection is about a path of life. It's a life path. Jesus came to show us the way and not to do it all for us. He came so that we might be able to do it for ourselves. Therefore, his passion and his suffering and his rising are to be the way for us as well. They show us the path that divine wisdom takes. And it's a path not only for Jesus, but for all of God's children, even for the earth and for all humankind. Now, another version of Christianity, dare I say a more superficial version, tends to see Jesus more as a hero savior who comes down from heaven to rescue us. Someone who does it for us. As that theology goes, God is a righteous God who takes offense at the disobedience and sins of humanity. And God is a just God who, who decrees 
that all sin must have a punishment. And so Jesus volunteers to go down, or perhaps God sends him down to pay the price of sin on, the, on behalf of humanity. Uh, this version of faith says that Jesus suffers to pay the price in our stead, suffers so that we don't have to pay the price. Our job in this scenario is simply to understand the transaction and to be grateful for it. If we understand what Jesus has done on our behalf, and if we're genuinely and piously grateful, then we will be granted a ticket or a passage to heaven and to eternal life. But if we don't recognize and believe what Jesus did, or if we're not even sufficiently grateful, we might go to a not-so-happy place after we die. And by then, it will be too late. You see, in this system, the weight is placed mostly on what comes after this life, on heaven or hell, our eternal destiny. How we actually live here and now, how we actually see and behave and interact is of less importance because salvation is about belief. We're saved by grace and belief and not by our works. Now this might be a bit of a caricature of a certain theological system, but I think the theology is still quite prevalent and the conditioning runs quite deep, even for those of us who may not subscribe to such a theology. During Holy Week, it's easy to assume that our job is to conjure up pious feelings of gratitude for what Jesus did on the cross for us and be thankful that we don't have to do something similar. Well, the wisdom tradition takes a different approach. It doesn't deny that we should be grateful for Jesus' sacrifice. We should be in awe of it. Neither does it deny an afterlife. It would see the physical plane of existence as one of many planes of existence. The difference is that it does not believe that salvation is just about what Jesus did for us. Salvation is actually found through doing what Jesus did. Life and liberation are found through following and emulating the Master in our lives here and now. It says that if we follow Jesus, we will also suffer. We, his beloved, will also die, but we will also be raised with him to new life. Believing in Jesus is not a way of bypassing this process, bypassing the suffering. It's a way of moving into it, staying with it, going through it and experiencing the transformation, just as Jesus did. His path is our path. Being disciples, then, means taking on his style, his behaviors. But even more importantly, it means taking on his mind. When we talk about the mind of Christ, 
his perspective, Christ's awareness. Uh, the passage that comes to mind is from the second chapter of Philippians. It says there, have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God as something to be hoarded or grasped, but instead took on, uh, instead humbled himself, says emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And then it says humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. So this is the mind. And as we meditate on this mind, on this way for us, it becomes immediately obvious that it's not easy. Because we recognize that this mind is not our normal mind. Our human nature is not to empty ourselves. It's rather, most of the time, to fill ourselves, to search for the best, uh, to look out for number one, to store up and hoard, to try to avoid suffering, to try to protect ourselves and wall ourselves in, um, avoiding it at all costs. The mind of Christ is so different. It's a bigger and a broader mind. And Jesus comes to show us that even though it's hard for us to believe, it's actually the normal mind, the smaller mind, that causes us the harm. It's the restrictive and the normal mind that actually enslaves us. And so he invites us to trust and to expand and to be raised up with him into a new place, a place that knows the depth and power of a love that transcends all things. In the Easter Psalm that um, Isaac read for us this morning, it says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. What the builders thought was useless is actually the most useful thing of all. We humans, the builders, have so often rejected the way of Jesus, the mind of Jesus, and have chosen the smaller, restrictive way instead. But the Easter Gospel tells us that this is not the end of the story. Jesus being raised from the tomb is God's confirmation that his way is the way of true life. The way that we rejected is the way of eternal life, true life and freedom. And the great news is that we can still choose it. It's not too late. With God, there is always new opportunities. It's never too late. And so, the birth of another spiritual, that stone, that stone, that we rejected has become the rock of our salvation, the cornerstone of true freedom and liberation. Glory be to the Lord. Hallelujah. This Easter, 
may we know this truth deep down in our souls, even if we're not feeling it in our emotions. It's a deeper truth in our emotions. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed.